Good morning. How are you guys doing? Well, we are going to dive into this last chapter of 1 John this morning. Uh, so I hope you do have your Bibles. 1 John, if you are not aware yet, uh, is towards the back of your Bible. Uh, it's one of the last books. Uh, I think it's like the fifth to last or something like that. So 1 John chapter 5. Uh, today we're going to look at a message entitled, His Way Equals the Best Way. His Way is the Best Way. And we're going to find this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I think if there's two things um, that I would want you, uh, and these are just, I think, the two things that I feel like have been coming up in my heart a lot lately for you guys, um, is that I really want you to get this and know this, not just intellectually, but in your life, that there is not a truer fact that his way is the best way. I, I, I know that you guys have heard me say that before. And the other thing that goes along with this that we're going to look at today is that God blesses obedience. Okay, so if there's two things I want you to write down right now is that his way is the best way and that God blesses obedience. When, it, when I say that God blesses obedience, it means that he makes your life better. I didn't say easier, but he is able to bring joy. He is able to uh, bring peace and excitement and fulfillment and satisfaction that our obedience to God puts us in a place where God can now pour out and give us everything that he wants to. And today we're going to talk about obedience in relation to love. Obedience in relation to love. We're going to start with this concept, okay? And this is the concept that we're going to start with today. Is that any act of disobedience is because you think your way is better. I just want you to write that down. Any act of disobedience is because you think your way is better. Let me give you an example. Like, say, in relation to your parents and, and obe obeying or disobeying your parents. That in that moment, maybe that you're playing, uh, you know, some kind of video game, whether it's Call of Duty Mobile or whatever it might be, okay? Uh, and you're playing, and then your mom comes in and says, hey, I need you to take out the trash. It's overflowing, and in that moment, you say, well, no, not right now. I'm going to wait until my game is over. And then she says, right, what's her response? No, you're going to put the game down now and you're going to do, go do it. But that, that act of disobedience, which it's an act of disobedience, right? Uh, immediate or a delayed obedience is disobedience. You guys hear me? So delayed obedience, that's still disobedience. And that act, you think... Your way is better, right? In that moment, you're like, it's going to be more beneficial to me to continue. Or say lying. Say maybe, uh, maybe to your mom or to a teacher. That in that moment, you think, even though you know God has told you, lying is not my way. Lying is not what I want you to do. In that moment, it's going to seem, okay, no, this is the better thing for me. This is going to be beneficial uh, that I tell this lie, so I try to get away with this. But what you don't realize, and the reason why God's way is better, you don't realize the things that are going on underneath the surface. You don't realize how God knows that that's going to come back and bite you. Or what about just example uh, in relation to God? The idea that any act of disobedience is, is just because you think your way is better. 
and let's say uh, not for, for those that might not stay pure until marriage. They think that temporary satisfaction and joy is going to be better than what God can offer them in, in his design of a marriage. Or what about gossiping? You think, oh, this is going to be enjoyable to me, and so I'm going to talk about this person, or, or lying, or like we talked about, or, or cheating. You think, okay, cheating off this. I know God's told me not to, but this is going to benefit me. I'm going to get a better test. I'm going to get a better score on my paper. But Isaiah chapter 55, 8 through 9 says this. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. His way is always the best. Though in the moments of life where the temptation is to disobey him, it'll feel like his way is like the bummer way at times. It'll feel like his way is going to be the more difficult road. But that's when we look at the here and now and not the then and the later. If you can remember, last week we talked about um, the love of God. You guys remember that? We were in the high school room. Uh, We talked about how God's love is original, how it's initiating, how he's the origin, how he's the one that takes the first step and how that love emboldens us and how that love influences us. I gave you the paper of the one another passages that showed all the different ways that God has asked us to love one another. And on this similar train of thought, he continues now in chapter five, and he's still talking about love, but he's talking about how if we love God, then we're gonna obey him. That these two things are also connected. That out of our love for God is gonna be a desire and a pursuit to obey God, all right? So we're going to read 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, and then we'll pray. Verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who, be, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, we are here for you today. Lord, though there are benefits of coming to church like community and fellowship. and Lord, the biggest benefit is you. That's a place that we get to gather and meet with you. And and I pray that you would teach us this morning as we meditate on this idea that your way is the best way, that we meditate on this idea that our obedience doesn't come out of a place of fear. It doesn't come a place of we have to, Lord, but in our love relationship with you, it comes out of a place because we want to please you. And we know that you bless obedience. And we want to be in in the light, in the pouring out of your love towards us. And so teach us now as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, as we talked about some of those one another passages, how we're to pray for one another, 
We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to be hospitable to one another. We're to be kind to one another. We're to forgive one another. The clear mandate to love one another is, is very, very clear. And it's to be in light of God's love, right? We looked at that last week, how uh, I should love you because of the love that I've received from God. How I should forgive you because God has forgiven me. That it's this effect, it's this train effect in a sense. It's this domino effect. And I believe now as we get into these verses that John wants to make very clear that though our love for one another should come out of our love for God, because I love you, that is not the fact that gives me salvation, right? It's a very clear thing, the idea that, that we're, we're not saved by works. That yes, I'm to love you, but just because I love you, that's not what saves me. It's not that, okay, I, I get saved and then I love you and that keeps me saved because I'm supposed to be loving others. No, and he, and he brings up this, um, this faith issue. He says, whoever believes, look at verse one in your Bibles. Right away, we see this foundation of faith uh, in verse 1. We see this foundation of faith in verse 1, where he says, whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. It's this, he, he goes back to about talking about salvation and being born again. That yes, you're to love one another. That's what God has commanded you. That doesn't, that's not what saves you. And I think he wants to drive this uh, home and, and make it really clear. He brings up faith in the beginning, but then also at the end. So in verse one, he brings up belief and faith, how that's, that is what saves you. That is what makes you born again, where God's able to give you a new heart, where you're a new creation. But then in verse four and five, look in your own Bible, verse four and five, he also talks about faith. He talks about how our faith is our victory, that that's what gives us victory is our faith in Jesus that our faith in Jesus gives us victory so that we're able to overcome the world, verse four and five talk about. How our faith is what empowers us to be able to fulfill those commands. How it's our faith that empowers us to be able to overcome the ways of the world and walk in God's ways. And then sandwich in the middle, uh, verse 1 and verse 4 and 5 that's talking about faith is our big idea for today. And that is that, that there must be an obedience that comes out of our love for God. And, and we're going to see in verse 2 and 3 where we're going to spend uh, just about all of our time today. Uh, that is the focus. is these two things of obedience and love and how they, they must coexist together. So, we're going to see obedience out of love in verse 2 and 3. Um, in verse 2 and 3, I'm just going to read them one more time so we focus on them. You've heard them once. I'm going to read them once more. Look at verse 2. He says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. That, that, that is loving God, is obeying him. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. In these just two verses, I want you to note down in your note-taking that three times in these verses, John says his commandments. He says his commandments. This is what God has asked you and I either to do or not to do. It's, it's his mandate. It is, what, uh, it is his, uh, what he's given to us to follow him. 
And by our obedience to God, it shows that we love him and that we love his people. That he throws not just loving people into this, uh, this realm of loving God, but also obedience. Love leads to obedience. Guys, love leads to obedience. That if you are truly loving God, obedience is going to flow out of your life. And if you're in a state right now, if, you're in, if your current life would be marked by disobedience, it shows that there's something off in your love relationship with God. It shows there's something off. It comes out of a relationship, not a religion. It's no longer having the attitude of, this is what I'm supposed to do. But when you love God, it changes of, well, this is what I'm supposed to do because my religion tells me that. This is what I'm supposed to do because my church says this is what I should do. This is what I should do because this is what I'm supposed to do. It changes. It becomes, this is what I want to do. It's amazing that as your love for God increases and goes up, as you spend time with him, as you worship him, that there is now a desire that God puts in you that you actually want to obey him. The word keep here means obey or follow or do. It's kind of, it's a very broad term. It means to listen, but also action. It means to follow, to do. It's an action type of word. And there's no doubt in my mind that as we read these verses that John is remembering back. Remember, John spent a lot of time with Jesus, right? He spent a lot of time with him, three years of, of not just like, okay, he'd see him like, like you see your teacher, you know, a few times a week. No, but he spent time with him. He fished with him. He, uh, you know, sat by the fire with him. He watched him. He did ministry with him. And no doubt in my mind that, that John is remembering back to the words of Jesus, that, that John didn't learn the stuff that he is saying to us from some rando guy, Okay. Um, that it wasn't some random guy, but it was rather straight from the mouth of Jesus. I want you guys to look on the screen, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I put together, this is a culmination of about four verses in just one chapter. If you're not familiar with John 14, John 14 is at that table of last supper. Remember, John 13 is when Jesus goes around to wash the feet of the disciples. And so, and this is the night, this is that same night that Jesus is going to be taken up by the, 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 uh, the, those that would come and take him, the religious authorities. And this is his last kind of uh, words to them. And John 14, I'm just going to read it through you straight, even though this is four different verses in this chapter, I'm going to read it to you because the flow is there and the idea is there, Okay. You ready? All right, follow along on the screen. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, obeys them, it is he who loves me. It's the proof. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, means obey his commands, and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me, does not keep my words, doesn't care what he has to say. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I mean, it seems like almost 1 John chapter 5, and this, you could put it together, 
and I could put it up there without the verse reference, and you would think it's the same passage. Because the concepts are the same. John is teaching us what he learned from Jesus. Jesus also says again in John chapter 15, one chapter later, same conversation. I love this. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You see, guys, if we obey what God asks of us, we put ourselves in a perfect position to receive his love, which if we are in a position to receive God's love, then in turn, uh, it will turn into a fullness of joy. Notice this verse right here, John 15. He says, I'm writing, I'm asking you to obey me in love, out of a relationship of love, because I care about you. He says, I'm asking you to obey me because I know that this is going to be the key to give you joy. That this is going to be the thing in your life where my joy is going to be able to be in you and is going to remain in you and it is going to be full. It means complete. It means you won't need anything else. And this is why we see in verse 3 where it goes on to say in our text today in 1 John 5 that it says that these commands are not burdensome. This is one of my favorite verses out of this whole book. Look in your own Bibles. Look at verse 3, the very end, where he says, keep my commands. He says, love me, keep my commands. Love me, keep my commands. And he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. And they aren't burdensome because of the joy that you and I are fulfilled with in our obedience to Jesus. The word burdensome means this. It means troublesome. It means difficult or oppressive. It means that there is a heavy demand. He says, you're not going to feel like that if you are loving me because my commands are then going to feel light to you. It's kind of like, for example, you guys have certain things in your life right now that are burdensome, that are heavy, that they feel, they make you feel like you're in bondage, or they make you feel uh, like you're oppressed, like you have almost chains on your hand. Can you guys think of anything in your life that makes you feel uh, like you just have this heavy weight on you, or it's, it's just a burden to you? For some of you, for some, it's not, but for a lot of you, it's school, right? It, it just is. That it's like, oh man, the, t- the amount of homework that I have right now, it's like we go to school, we do work, and then they give us more work to go home and do. And some of y'all are doing work from early in the morning to late at night, right? Some of you have different kinds of schools, so it's varying levels, but for some of you, it's, it feels just like heavy, It causes even stress and anxiety. Uh, For some of you, uh, your chores at home feel burdensome. Uh, Some of you, you probably shouldn't be burdened by the amount of chores you do, but some of you, maybe maybe your parents really do demand a lot. Maybe you have to actually take out the garbage, right? Or you have to not just put away some of the dishes that are easy to put away, but put away all the dishes, I remember I convinced my parents that I wasn't tall enough to put away some of the dishes, right? I remember I did that. 
And, and maybe some of the chores and some of the things at home, they feel heavy. And, you're like, and, and when things feel heavy like that, it feels almost like a drag, like you don't want to do them. Uh, or maybe you hear your parents talking about the burden of their job. Some of you, you have parents where they love their job. They, they thoroughly enjoy that time. They miss you being away from you and, and uh, maybe their, their spouse, but they actually really do enjoy their job. But some of you have parents where they don't enjoy their job, where you hear the conversation between mom and dad about how, how there's this burden, how they have a manager, they have a boss who is putting on them unrealistic expectations, right? Putting on them demands that are, just feel heavy. It feels like though they, they have to go to work, they have to provide, but it, they don't, it's, it's just hard. It's burdensome. You see, guys, in contrast, for the one who is in a right love relationship with God, his commands aren't a burden. And they aren't a burden as you see how wise and good they are. That his laws are put forth for our protection, for our benefit, for our joy. That God is creator. And so his commands, it's kind of like a manufacturer's manual. It's kind of like those instructions that show you what pieces go. He made us, and so he knows how we work. He knows the things. That's why he's, he doesn't just uh, say like random things. His commands are very calculated. He knows the end result. He sees the future. And so when God asks you to do or not do something, it's not because he's on this power trip. It's because he literally is thinking about you. That when God was writing the finger of the Ten Commandments to give Moses... He was thinking about you. He was thinking about how you can work the best. He knows how we work best to have the best and most fulfilling life. And Jesus knew that the key to a fullness of joy was in obedience to what he said. And that's why we saw that in John 15. So I'm saying these things for you. Jeremiah chapter 31, you can note it down. In Jeremiah 31 verse 33 says this, God, this is God's promise to Israel about the new covenant, which you and I are now part of the new covenant. We're part of that new promise that God had in Jesus. Well, this is a promise of a future of what God was going to do. And he says through Jeremiah, he says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This verse speaks of that new covenant, and, and through faith in Jesus, you and I are given a new heart. We, we just are. There's a, we're a new creation that God exchanges our, our heart of stone, the Bible describes, and gives us a heart of flesh, meaning we were once stubborn and hard, and now we are moldable and, and shapeable. And with that, when God has replaced our heart and, and made us a new creation, in that, he put in our hearts an ability to know what God wants us to do or not do. And as a believer, we know. I believe for you, if you're a believer in here, God has put in you his commands, his law, and he's also put in you that you, deep down you know that his way is the best way. You know that God's way is the most fulfilling way. Now our sin at times, our flesh is weak, um, but our spirit is willing where we know, but, but, but we do trip up at times. 
But what I want you to get, when it says that his commands are not burdens, are you guys following today? Does this make sense? I want you to know that when he says his commands are not burdensome, it doesn't mean they're easy. It doesn't mean they're like super easy to follow because if they were super easy to follow, then all of us would be sinless. No, there are difficult, we have that, that flesh and spirit battle like the Bible describes. It's not that they're easy, but he's making a contrast between religion and relationship. Okay, you have to remember about when even Jesus talked about this, and then in 1 John, where we're at today, that the relationship and religion thing was a huge thing that Jesus was trying to divide. That Remember all those times that you can remember reading the Gospels or hearing about the Gospels, how Jesus is like constantly rebuking the Pharisees? And they were like, they were like the pastors, like, it was a big deal. They were the religious authority at the time. They were the, the church leaders. And Jesus came and rebuked them time and time again. Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, he says of them, he says, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The, the, what he's saying here is that what the religious institution was doing was that they had a whole bunch of rules and it became oppressive to the people. And this is what religion is. Religion is this set of rules that you just, you have to do and it's hard and it's, and it, and it's impossible to fully follow. But what Jesus comes and does in contrast, he says, it's not about a bunch of rules to keep, but it's about God to love. And out of that love flows obedience. And that's where we get Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. When Jesus says, notice the contrast. Jesus says, I don't put burdens on people. I take burdens. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That if you feel weighed down, like your life, think about your life. If you're like, man, I just feel weighed down by God's commandments, it shows that you don't have a correct relationship with Jesus. That for you, it's, it's less about love and, and more about law. It's more about just doing religious things than pursuing Jesus in relationship. You guys ever heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther back in, uh, the, the guy who started the Reformation. If you know anything about him, he was in this time where his relationship with God was based on what he did or did not do. That holiness back then to him was, was, was giving his life to God in a way that was... Um, that would, would discipline his body, meaning he would, he would whip himself. He would climb upstairs uh, praying on his knees until his knees would bleed because he thought sacrifice is what God wanted. He thought that these religious activities and, and doing things and coming to church is what God wanted. It's not that God didn't want that stuff, but it's that he wanted a relationship and that he had the reverse wrong. And that's what started this separation of the Reformation from the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church was this religious institution at the time that was putting unrealistic burdens and expectations on people. And this is the difference with what you and I believe. That obedience comes out of love. You guys know about Jacob in the Bible? Who can tell me a little bit about Jacob in the Bible? 
in the book of Genesis. Come on. Yes. Just one, one fact. Yes, that is true. Esau tried to kill Jacob. Uh, anything else? Yeah. Israel, yep. Anyone know who Jacob's dad was? Yeah. That was his grandfather. Isaac, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that Jacob. There's a story in Genesis chapter 29, and it's a story about how Jacob meets this beautiful girl. Anyone know what this beautiful girl's name was? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Tiffany? Rachel, right? Jacob meets this girl, Rachel, and back then things worked a little different, where it was a custom that when a man wanted to marry uh, a girl, that this man would, would have to have a dowry. Anyone know what a dowry is? A dowry was a sum of money or possessions or wealth to give the family of the woman that he wanted to marry. He'd give it to the father, and, and it would be his kind of a, a point that now he'd be able to marry her. It was God's design that if that man then ever died, or if that man decided to, uh, for whatever reasons, divorce her, that that woman wouldn't be left with nothing. That at the time where, say, the, the husband died, uh, or that he, that he left her, then she would receive that dowry to be able to take care of herself. Uh, it, was, it was this way that just was, uh, worked a little bit different. And so Jacob, uh, at the time that he met Rachel, he didn't have a dowry. He didn't have any money uh, to be able to put down uh, to be able to actually marry her. And so what he did was he agreed to work for her father. Anyone know her father's name, Rachel's father? Yeah, Laban. This guy named Laban, okay? And, and Laban, he says, okay, I'll work for you. Seven years, I'm going to work for you. Seven years is a long time. And it wasn't just like, okay, I'll like mow your yard once a week. No, it was like, I'm, I'm working for you every day of the week. I'm taking care of the, of the crops. I'm taking care of the flock of sheep. Uh, it's hard farm work. But what I want to share with you is this verse. Genesis chapter 29, 20. The Bible says this about Jacob. He says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. I think this is sweet. And I think for you and I, it should be a hint of what our relationship with God should be like. That out of our love, that his commandments, they... they Oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. God knows my best. I want to please him. And out of this love, it doesn't feel heavy. And so if in your life, what God is asking you to do feels heavy, that's when you need to check what your love relationship with God is like. There's an old saying that says, that says, love feels no loads. That love feels no loads. And I like that. That, that, and you guys will experience this as you get older and you fall in love with the girl, with the guy, and you'll just, doing anything for them, is, there's just this willingness to serve, there's this willingness to do things that for, your, for maybe someone you, you uh, love in a different way, you're not so willing to do. I mean, I remember that, you know, when I was uh, in, in high school, uh, and then when I graduated and I started to fall in love with my now wife. I remember at home, like, even, even as an adult, it was still difficult at times for my parents to, like, get me to do stuff, you know? Uh, it, it doesn't go away once you hit high school and once you even hit young adulthood, honestly, at times. 
But I remember when I was started going over to my wife's house at the time, girlfriend, you know, I want, I, I would want to impress her, her parents. I want to show her love. And so I'd be doing the dishes. I'd be taking out the trash and they wouldn't have to ask me twice because, and that didn't feel heavy that I was wanting to do that. You guys understand that love just has that dynamic uh, uh, part to it. And, and apart from a love, faith relationship with Jesus, his commands are going to feel very heavy. That for a non-believer, they're going to see the, the things that God has said, and they're going to look at them as like, oh, that sounds terrible. I have to wait? I have to actually give that? I have to do this? And because there's no love connection, it's going to feel like a burden. It's going to feel heavy. But through our faith, we have gained the victory, the Bible says. And we've given the power to overcome how the world thinks. And I love, guys, just how clear it is that this is what God wants for you. God wants your obedience, not your sacrifice. You can keep the religious stuff, and God wants a relationship with you. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Saul is a great example of someone who who thought God wanted something more than obedience. It's just what God wants. If you want to show that you love God, just obey what he says, do what he says. Even Jesus says, I'll call you friends as, as you do what I say. And there's this connection that this is what God wants for us. And it's so clear all throughout scripture that God wants our obedience. The Bible says here in 1 Samuel, this is what Samuel had to rebuke Saul for. And he says, has the Lord, Lord as has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. That God would, would rather you obey him during the week and obey your mom and obey what he's asked you to say and those different commands and do what he said rather than to even show up to church on Sunday if he had either or. Right? It should be both, but he would say, I'd rather have you stay home and actually do what I say rather than come to church, punch in your religious time card, I'm good to go, I'm good with God because I came to church or I did something religious, but then you go home and you actually just don't care what he has to say for your life. Of course, they go hand in hand. Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, uh, tells us very clearly it says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? This is your sacrifice, Old Testament sacrifices. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression or sin, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God doesn't want that stuff. Now, he, he, now he'll receive Right, different sacrifices that we give him as long as the first is already dealt with. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Guys, you need to know that a, still, a stale religion kills the joy of obedience. That when your relationship with God just becomes do this and do, you know, make sure that you come to church and make sure that you do this and, okay, I read my Bible because that's what I'm supposed to do. 
whatever it might be, that when it becomes just stale and mundane and boring, it's going to kill the joy of obedience. If you're familiar with Psalm 119 at all, Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God, and the psalmist so clearly displays. He talks about how he loves God's commandments, his testimonies, his statutes. He talks about how they are like light to his feet, and they are like treasure that, that someone would find, because he understands the joy of them, that you and I have something here. We have the key to how to live right. We have it. But what I want you guys to know and understand is that it's not enough just to know his commands, that obedience is more than knowledge. It's action. And a lot of you, I believe you know. A lot of you, you've heard it from your parents. You've heard it from me. You've heard it uh, probably most of your life. You know right, wrong. You know what God's asked you to do or not do. But it's not enough just to listen. Just for you to quote the verse, oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. No, God is watching your actions. God is watching you Tuesday at lunch with your friends. God's watching. God's watching you Thursday night when it's late at night and you're in your room alone. God's watching. God's seeing you. He's not looking at just, okay, well, no, I went to church though. Or, I, oh, I gave tithe. Oh, I served in children's ministry. God would, if you're not obeying him in the day-to-day things, God would rather you not do that. Now, if you're pursuing him, and, but there is a difference. You guys need to know there is a difference between pursuing obedience and, and failing at times. No one is perfectly obedient to God. And there's a difference between, okay, pursuing obedience and, and of course, messing up at times rather than just not really caring what God says. I don't, I don't want to obey that. I don't want to do that. There's a difference. There's uh, something in the Bible called the Shema. Everyone say Shema. All right, turn to your neighbor and say Shema. All right, turn to your other neighbor and say the same thing. You know, you know why I have you guys do that, right? So I can take a drink of water. No, I'm just kidding. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, specifically verse 4 and 5 uh, this has been a long-time tradition that the Jews still keep. Obviously, this is the Old Testament, fifth book of the Bible. And this is something that they refer to as the Shema. It is something that they repeat on a daily basis. Um, and this is a way that they're able to, uh, they'll say it out loud, they'll pray it. Um, and this is something that, that is very close to uh, someone who is Jewish uh, to their heart as they, as they express their worship to God. Uh, and even for a messianic believer who is a Jew that has come to now the further revelation of Jesus, the Shema is something is that it's ingrained in them as children, and it's something they have memorized and know. And in and Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, it says this. This is, this is Moses speaking, and he says, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, talking about commandments, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I want to show you guys a video in regards to this very thing, okay? Um, you can go to the next slide. And so... It's about a three-minute video, and it explains what this word Shema really is and really means. It's important for us, us to know, okay? So you can take a minute and turn your eyes to the screen. 
For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, if you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. So I like this, and I like this word Shema that we find. It, it comes up so much in the Old Testament. Uh, an incredible amount of times in the Old Testament that this comes up. And he says, hear, hear what I'm saying. It's not that God is just like, I want you to hear my voice because it sounds really great. Uh, no, he's saying hear because he wants us to listen and then actually do it. And this is why God says so often with this Shema, and that's why it's, it's uh, the, the Jews out of tradition, they, they talk about it with their kids. They, they put it on their doorposts. They, they put it everywhere because it's going to lead to that it might be well with them. Um, at the verse we looked at in chapter 6, it said, Observe this, hear, obey, that it might be well with you. There's a blessing that follows. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. 
And this is where it connects the, the obedience with love. Right? Even the Shema says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's not an emotional experience to love God. Oh, I just, I felt God in, in worship. Okay, that's, that's sweet. But loving God is, is when Monday comes and the rubber meets the road and you have to step out in faith and you have to say no or you have to say yes to something. And so for you, the question that I want to ask you today is what has God commanded you? Now, he's commanded us through his word, uh, and, and that looks different, though, and that the personal application of that looks different in your life. And so ask yourself the question right now in a prayerful way, God, what do you want me to do? If you are a believer, then God's given you a new heart. He's put his law in your heart. His spirit brings conviction and his word brings clarity. You know what you should do. If you want to express your love for God as a lover of God, obey him. Do what he says. Remember, he has, this is how a relationship works, right? God puts out commands because he loves you and he wants the best for you. And so in response out of love for God, we obey him. And it's a give and take uh, amazing relationship. It's a relationship where it, it involves both sides. But for you guys, whatever you might write at the top of your list, um, I think this would, one would be pretty high up there. And any student that has met with me in my office knows this is what I bring up. Um, and that's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. And it's that for you, because you are a minor, you are under 18, you are still under uh, your parents' authority, and your parents are under God's authority, what God has asked you to do, especially for you now. Now, even for me as an adult, this verse still very much applies because notice it doesn't say obey. It says honor, meaning if you're still under their authority, to honor them, you're going to obey them. But for me, I don't have to obey my mom and dad anymore. You know that? Or if my mom calls me up and asks me to do something, I have the, the capacity to say no and God and for God to be completely okay with that. Now, what I still am to do is give her honor, give my mom and my dad honor, meaning I'm not to treat them disrespectfully. If they do ask me to do something, I can say, hey, no, I'm not going to do that. But I'll say, no, that's dumb. Right? I, I, it's a respectful way, or I say yes, or I, whatever it might be. Does that make sense? But for you, if you can just have this as your goal, to obey, uh, oh my gosh, the blessing that would come out. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Out of the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that has a blessing that follows it. A blessing. Remember, it's, it's God being able to fill your life with good stuff. And that's what a blessing is. And for you, God's saying, if you just honor your mom and dad, and, just, and that's not just not doing bad things, but it's also doing good things. That's, that's honoring them. Whatever would bring them respect and, and that value, that you are to be doing that. And God expects that of you. But notice that the incentive is there. It's not just talking about long days that you're going to, okay, you're going to live till you're 102, but it's talking about the quality of your life will increase if you do this. I guarantee you 
take it to the bank, 100% fact. If you can focus on honoring mom and dad, however that might look for you, not just obedience, but also going even more than that, bringing them honor, with a, bring a smile to their face, God will bless you more than you can handle. And so I want to share with you one last quote. Okay, it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If anyone knows who that is, I won't go into who it is. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was kind of a, 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 a preacher during the uh, Nazi Germany time. And he says, you can only learn what obedience is by obeying. I mean, you might, you might have a theory of what it looks like, but until you start doing it, uh, it, it, that's when it will make sense. It'll bring joy. And so just start small. And I've already given you at least one thing today. However, like when you go home, you're about to see your mom and dad very soon. You're going to go to lunch. You're going to go home. How can you bring them honor? How can you bring them respect? What would give them joy that you could do? Hey, not just the negative, but also the positive. And so as we close, guys, God's way is the best way. Alex, you guys can come out. Whether it seems like it or not, disobedience usually comes when we can only see the now and not the future. We see, no, this is what, this is my, no, it looks like the best way. This looks better than what God has said. And you might not say that, but your actions might show differently. And so does your life, does it show that, that you think God's way is the best way? We'll close with this verse, Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight and nine. It's the verse we started with. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is our authority. And I'm telling you guys, everyone look at me. It's worth it. I can tell you that from experience because I've had that, the time of disobedience and blatant disregard for what God's asked me to do. And that only leads to pain it only leads to loneliness and sadness, but the joy that has filled my life as I've committed to him and not perfect, but pursuing, just wanting to please him because I want to love him, not out of obligation. His commands are not burdensome, but because I want to show my love for him, you won't, ha- you won't be able to handle the blessings of, God's li- of God in your life. Right. God, we are so thankful for you that you don't lay on us these oppressive, just hard, heavy things, but that our obedience to what you've asked us to do, Lord, it leads to joy. You know what you're doing. You've created us. You know the path. Your ways are higher. They are better. They are superior. God, you are greater. And I pray that as we enter our week, Lord, that we would just follow you, that even in the moment when we think our way is better, that we would submit, that we would surrender to your way, and that you would create in us a heart of obedience. Lord, we might have hardness or stubbornness that you would take out our hard heart and you would replace it with a soft one. Lord, and that there would just be, we would do it out of love. We would do it because we want to please you. And amazing, Lord, that as we seek to please you, you fill our life with blessings that you open the heavens and our lives are filled. Not easy at times, not without storms, not without troubles, but somehow joyful, 
somehow with peace. We love you so much and be glorified as we just worship you this, with this last song. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.